This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Today, I'm pleased to host Thomas Ullenbrook, the founder and CEO of Pulse Industrial, one of our most recent portfolio companies. Thomas started working on Pulse to bring digital innovation to old, forgotten mechanical equipment in industrial plants. He's a fanatic for AI and electronics, and his educational background is environmental engineering from the University of Waterloo. Thomas, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ken. And uh, I must say, this is actually the first podcast I've participated in, and uh, I'm really excited to take part. Well, excellent. Well, that's uh, it, it's good that we were able to be the uh, the first there then. <laughs> so let's let's start with your professional journey. Tell us a bit about your background and how it has informed your views of digital industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so my background, as Ken introduced in in the beginning, is is in environmental engineering. So I, I'm actually only two years out of out of school. So really, I've been my my journey so far has been very education education based and. Uh, and all the, the the work I did during during my schooling. Now the the University of Waterloo has a really um, a really great program because by the time you graduate, you have to go through six work term placements. So even now, just just two years out of school, I've I think I've worked in seven eight uh, different professional engineering jobs, and so that that in itself really gets you exposed to. Uh, a lot of different workplaces, um, both in a technical sense, you get to see what's what are the different uh, branches of environmental engineering. Um, but even even just in in your typical uh, work work placement, the, the soft skills you learn of working with people and, and project management gives you a, a very broad scope of of uh, what are good ways to get things done, and definitely a, a good dose of what are the bad ways to get things done. Um, for, for my digital journey, though, it wasn't really until I, I got started in in this project for Pulse. Um, it began as a school project, uh, just just in my last year of university, and in that, I, I really got a chance to be exposed to to, to digital technologies and uh, and AI, and I, I was really really interested in that. That was for for me that was much more interesting than anything I actually did that was related to environmental engineering. So, so thinking about both the tech and all the old archaic ways people are doing things and all the problems associated with that, I just wanted to, to have a chance to, to, to bring that together. So what, what I quickly found is when you introduce digital technology, you find that there's better ways to do things. So you truly started at the edge working as a field inspector in the environmental engineering space. I guess what attracted you to the space, first of all? Well, I, it's kind of funny. I, I was initially attracted to environmental engineering uh, to work on sustainable development, um, but I, I quickly found out that it, it's not—it's not so much to do with saving the environment. Um, there is, there's certainly part of that, but it's most of the environmental engineers who 
who go through school and graduate, they end up doing some form of, of project management, doing some in, in some large construction project where they're doing some environmental coordination. Um, and I, I just found that a little boring personally, just, just from an engineering perspective. And, and don't get me wrong, those are very important jobs and very, very smart people who, who go and work those jobs. I, I just wanted to have a chance to, to apply more, more, I guess, math and uh, math and like a new, newer technology uh, when, I, when I bring myself to the workplace. So personally, I actually found um, the tech world way more interesting and I, I wanted to get involved in that. And just as, as I was mentioning before, I started working on, on AI problems uh, when I began Pulse. And, and, and I got really good at software. I, got, I learned the hardware, the electronics, and how, the, how all those systems integrate together. So, so naturally, I, I just thought it made sense to, to blend tech with the more older uh, traditional engineering. So learning that from my environmental engineering degree and then learning the, the AI and electronics through Pulse, it just seemed like a, like a natural thing to, to bring together. In the, in the uh, conversation before we did the podcast, you and I were talking about this uh, you know, this idea of smart spaces and mm-hmm. you know the uh, you know traditional as a theater of operations, whether it's a construction site or um, uh, you know a, 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 say a, a steam distribution mm-hmm. system, right? Meets um, digital is still a, a little ways away, and so I think it's interesting. You know, we often classify, and it's not always fair, but you know people as digital natives and 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 what we we'll call it digital explorers, you know, based on Nestle, their age. You are a native um, in many different ways, a digital native. What were some of your observations of of the state of the art in environmental engineering at the time, and and to what degree did that inspire you to create Pulse Industrial? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's and and definitely looking at the state of the art is is something that inspires me. And and like in Pulse, it was always a an objective to keep keep the state of the art in mind when whenever we're doing our designs. Um, now, more more in environmental engineering, there's there's a lot of different branches you could look for when you're trying to uh, look at this, the state of the art. Some of these have to do with with AI and electronics. So this is kind of the, the, that whole IoT space where you're you're automating workflow, uh, collecting data in in remote locations, and uh, compiling that data in in ways to make make new discoveries of, of things that just weren't possible 20 years ago. Um, but but even in like taking the electronics and, and digital side um, aside, there's there's actually plenty of of really interesting technologies that are coming into the environmental engineering space. So for instance, I was um, before I did Pulse, I actually was in an, an accelerated masters for for water treatment, and one of the the big research areas in water treatment is is for membrane technologies. So they're uh, so so membranes, and for for listeners who don't know, it's where you it's basically just this this physical barrier where you put put a lot of pressure on a fluid, you you push that fluid through the barrier, and it's going to filter out larger particles and let the 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 smaller ones, usually water for for filtering water, go through. And they even have this technology to a point where they can filter out ions, so they'll take. Like water with sodium in it, which, which could be seawater, and they'll filter out the the salt, so you're left with just water on the other side. That that's what they do to to treat ocean water. So these are all kinds of, of really really cool technologies in in that space. And um, another another one I I found really interesting 
Uh, this I actually got this experience from one of my co-ops where I, I was working in environment and uh, and climate change Canada. They uh, so what I did in that job, we were making contaminant transport models for the Great Lakes in Canada. We wanted to see if there was some kind of rainfall or, or some contaminant was spilled in mainland. What's the, the effect of that contaminant that gets transported onto the Great Lakes? And uh, for this, we, we actually built these predictive models and, and I thought that was really cool as well. And these models were so complicated, they would take two days to, to run. So, so my boss would set, set up the, the model on his laptop. Uh, he'd run it for two days and then he'd you know, just, just go home to Montreal or, or go to Mexico while, while the model was running. And um, I think another uh, cool place we could go with the state of the art is, is just when, just by virtue of computing getting better, we can do a lot more things with these models. Let, so let's talk about Pulse Industrial, um, and we've talked a little bit about your background and and especially the different uh, digital areas that you were involved in. Mm -hmm. What was the problem that you set out to solve with Pulse Industrial? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Pulse Industrial, in, in a nutshell, we're, we're providing digital innovation to to old equipment in steam systems. Uh, I think it's first good to explain how steam works and how condensate uh, and steam interact in these systems. So when you, have a, when you have a steam plant, you'll have one central boiler. It uh, takes water, makes it really hot, turns it into steam, and then they can shoot that steam down piping, which can go off and you know, do various activities. It can, it can heat things, it can sterilize things, um, it, can, it can move things like, like in a turbine. And there's a lot of importance to that in, in chemical production. So when, when the steam is moving around in, in these pipes or, or in the process, it's naturally going to cool and just, just it's going to leak out through, through the insulation. And what's going to fill in and replace the steam is, is water is going to accumulate. So what a, a steam trap does is it takes that water that accumulates and then filters it out of the steam system. And these are very essential components and you'll find them everywhere in a plant. A plant can have anywhere from a hundred to a few thousand uh, steam traps. Now, the, the problem with steam traps is that they're continuously going through wear and tear. So you know, it'll continuously opening and close to release the water that builds up. And also steam can be both erosive and uh, corrosive. So naturally, these, these mechanical components, they're, they're, it's inevitable that the failure will happen. And, uh, and as I like, these, these steam traps are everywhere. So it's really, really tough for, for operators to, to keep track of these failures. And what we do is, is we just automate that, that whole process of, of inspecting them. Um, we'll, we place a monitor beside the steam trap. And when a failure goes off, we let the operators know right away so they can go out and fix it. In our work with uh, companies in the thermal energy space, um, so we beyond investing in great companies like yourself, on the advisory side, we're doing quite a bit of work with some of the leaders in thermal energy. We've seen that somewhere between 37 and 45% of fuel usage in North America is focused on production of steam. So this is no small problem that you're talking about. Given that steam traps themselves are the largest source of energy loss, and some might say uh, create the highest risk in these systems as well, it seems like an obvious business case. So how has the industry been dealing with this prior to your solution? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it is truly mind-boggling how much steam is is actually still being used, and and I, and I share these statistics a lot, and it really catches people who uh, who who don't really know much about chemical manufacturing off guard. Um, so so prior to to pulse and and similar technologies in this space, it, it was very manual. So so I mentioned there there can be hundreds to thousands of steam traps in a, in a facility. This would require someone to to physically go around and with with special equipment and and training, actually inspect one one individually. So they might do this every year, every few months, um, one way or another. It's a ton of labor costs, and and but more so than the labor costs, if you if if you do an inspection, that you could have steam traps that are failing the the day after you inspected it, and you're not going to find it till the next inspection. So there, there's just a ton of losses associated with that. What we liked about your solution in particular is it um, is very easy just to mount it right on top of the steam trap. So it doesn't require taking the steam trap apart mm-hmm. to install it. You can literally mount it right on with a strap and then you use a wireless communications to bring that information back, particularly uh, using a lower WAN communications, which we think is pretty interesting because we see it as a leading um, uh, communications protocol for industrial um, uh, spaces as it has been for outside like uh, smart cities and such. What drove this particular choice of lower when and how has that worked out in practice? Well, it's actually um, going going to lower when was was a very obvious choice in, in my opinion. Um, like like for one, it's the the biggest is is that it has long range. So you know, Laura I think actually stands for for long range, and it just um, go, going into these manufacturing settings. Um, Something like Wi-Fi or, or Bluetooth just just wouldn't cut it. We're we're going around these these big thick these thick uh, uh, concrete walls. Um, sometimes these facilities can be kilometers long, and um, and you need very very good coverage. Um, and beyond that, it, lower one it's also uh, low power. So so that's really good for these these IoT things where you want to place all these sensors everywhere and, and not not worry about replacing the battery all the time. And um, and it's also a, a new technology. So that's something that should always be looked at is, is why is this new? Why are why are people using it? So so that's that's always a good question to ask. And um, it's, it's starting to become very common. So so that just makes the integration of it uh, much easier. So all, all those things considered, I, I think it was a very obvious choice for us and, and a very good one. So can you tell us about some of your key installations to date and the results your customers have seen deploying your solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our um, I'll, I'll talk about our first customer. So we actually did our first installation, um, first pay, paid installation back in January. And um, it was a little, little uh, nerve-wracking at first because, you know, we, we've been, you know, talking about this, this return on investment and, and um, you know we had good theory to, to to back that up, but like what was actually going to happen when we go in and install our devices? You know, is, is everything we, we say that we we would promise actually come true? And w- what actually happened was when we first installed, we we caught a few failures just in that install, and we paid back the 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 pilot that they're paying for ten times over. <laughs> so so it was actually a a very um, very uh, rewarding experience. 
And by now, um, kind of following that that initial installation, we, we've actually caught a few more failures in that plant uh, just over the last few months. And by now, we, we've saved them about uh, $30,000 in energy to date. So it, they're quite happy and, and we're quite happy that, that that worked out well. And generally speaking, we will catch a few failures when we first go and do the install, you know, just because they, they maybe haven't been checking or uh, or they, they recently checked and then the person who was doing the manual inspection uh, didn't find it. And then throughout the year, we'll, we'll kind of do what our product is supposed to do and, and uh, catch more failures. So you've, um, Pulse Industrial is the latest of our investments in Canadian companies. And uh, I think it was uh, three or four podcasts ago, we did uh, Chris Chong of uh, SST, who we just invest in. And I asked him to put on his uh, Canadian economic development hat. I'm going to ask you to do the same. What makes Canada a great place for startups? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think first is the the financial incentives. You know, the Canadian government is, is very supportive to to kind of getting your, your feet off the ground. And and even as you, you begin to scale, there, there's more and more financial incentives for you to, to become commercialized. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's very important, like it's especially for startups that are very capital intensive, like like ourselves. Um, but uh, another another big thing is is the community. So especially here being in, in the Waterloo region, there's a, there's a big startup community. You hear about these success stories all the time. And uh, that can be very inspiring. And you see that and you think, oh, like, like this guy created this, this $100 million business. Like, may, maybe I can do that too. And um, I think uh, last point, I, I think Canadians are secretly super competitive. You know, we, we act all nice and humble, but uh, <laughs> Canadians have our deep down where we're really ambitious people. <laughs> I love that. Well, that, that that actually might explain a lot because we always invest behind the founders. We like deep industry DNA and that story of, you know, starting at the edge and everything else. Uh, certainly, there's been a lot of passion now that I think about all of our Canadian uh, founders uh, in that regard. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. So <laughs> as digital industry investors, we always like to know what other startups do you see as the ones to watch and please promote Canadian ones, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll name a few here. Uh, there's, I want to actually give a shout out to um, my, my friends in Portugal, they're SmartX. So th- these are actually uh, friends I met in, in China. So they're, they're creating a, their startup um, does uh, some kind of textile uh, monitoring, looking for defa- uh, defects in, in textiles. I think actually Momenta in, in invested in them. We, we we did. So I'm smiling actually because this wasn't a paid promotion for anybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> but but I believe both of you guys are part of the Hacks ecosystem, yeah. HAX. Yeah. So uh, I, I believe that's probably a good connection there. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I, I relate to them because I think both of us, we have this, we're bringing in a digital technology to to a very old process that it was not not the sexiest application. So kind of there, I can see a lot of similarities in, in our journey and and them in particular, I know just seeing them in China there, they 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 work like like just a bunch of horses. So it's uh, that 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 work ethic really uh, gets manifested into their results. Um, and another startup. So this is uh, sort of outside of the, the digital engineering space or the digital innovation. Um, but I have uh, two friends, they're, they're former Tesla engineers, and, and they're looking to make flying cars. Um, so, so they're quite early on, but, but I, I just see those two and then the, 
the pace they they work at and they just make these brilliant mechanical designs so i've no doubt that that once they get funded they'll be able to compete with the bigger companies and, and um and yeah so so their their company's name is is Wattfly. so if you're interested in in transportation definitely uh check them out excellent well smartx we know well and so i'd agree with you it's a great new one and Wattfly, we will have to uh we will have to pay attention to that one as uh, as well so in closing can you provide recommendations of books and or resources that inspire you mm-hmm. yeah i've uh Two books here I read recently that that I'll share. Um, one here it's called uh, it's called Enlightenment Now. It's by Steven Pinker, and Steven he he brilliantly outlines uh, how life has almost improved so substantially in in almost every possible way uh, over the last thirty years. And I think it's easy easy to to forget um, how much things have have improved. So I think especially now um, being in the pandemic, I think we can really thank that we're we're in the pandemic during 2020. Um, let's see here. Should I share this one? Here, um, another one here. It's a, it's a book called Can't Hurt Me. It's a, it's a story by a former Navy, Navy SEAL named David Goggins. And uh, if David Goggins, he's, he's slowly become a little bit of an internet celebrity of being being uh, the the hardest man alive, and I just find his his story very inspirational. It's it's a great story about uh, failure and uh, and determination. So if you're looking to to become inspired and maybe go on a, an ultra marathon, that's that's a good book. Excellent. Uh, so two uh, two very uh, um, diverse, if you will, but I'm sure they they all hit together in terms of the idea of tenacity and uh, <laughs> and progress and moving together. So we will share links of both of those books on the uh, on the podcast when we publish it. But uh, thank you so much. So Thomas, thank you for taking the time to uh, to join us for this insightful interview. Ken, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's been my pleasure as well. So this has been Thomas Olenbrook founder and CEO of Pulse Industrial. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast Series produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.